0: You know, allocation to 70% equities after equities have sold off. So enjoyed much of the rebound in April. Now, as markets move up, as we sell covered calls, that equity weight generally starts to trend back down.
1: Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Hello, and thanks for joining us today. Faced with conflicting timelines for a market recovery, many investors are on the hunt for defensive exposures that protect capital and grow the portfolio. To that end, Mark Race and Portfolio Managers Chris Heeks and Chris McCaney answer questions directly from your peers, advisors, and provide valuable trade ideas and talking points for your client conversations. Before we hear from our experts, please consider subscribing to the BMO ETFs podcast on your preferred podcast player and sharing it with your colleagues. The more we hear from you, the better equipped we are to deliver you valuable ETF insights, commentary, and investment ideas.
2: Hello, I'm your host, Mark Rays. I'm the head of product for Demogam Canada, covering ETFs and mutual funds. Today, we are joined by Chris Heeks and Chris McCaney, both portfolio managers on our ETF desk. Uh, They focus on equity ETFs and option strategies, uh, but of course, also oversee some of the wider activity for the desk. So thank you, Chris and Chris, for joining us
3: today. Morning. Thanks,
2: Mark. Let's begin by getting an overview of where we've gone with the economy and the COVID-19 virus since we last talked a week ago, where we've seen the economy you know, gradually start to open, uh, depending on, on where you are in the world. But even as everyone cautions that we need a careful start, uh, we're still immediately seeing new cases popped up where the virus had supposedly already been somewhat contained, you know, including places like Wuhan, South Korea, and Germany. And that's without even talking about the discord that's going on in the United States. At the same time, we're seeing a a fear of missing out rally in the global equity market. So, when you look at this, how fragile is that recovery? And through that lens, how would you approach equity exposure considering the economic and health risks that are out there? I'll turn that over to Chris Heeks, please.
3: Yeah, thanks, Mark. And good morning, everyone. I think the answer is, unfortunately, in our opinion, it is somewhat fragile of recovery. Just to put in context where we are now, from that bottom, we've moved up about 30% in in the S&P 500. And I think an interesting stat is it took about 30 trading sessions to move up 30%. And that was the fastest pace since 1938. So pretty historic kind of rally back off that bottom. Again, we've spoken on the call. There's a couple things we really do like, which is, you know, the overall decrease in coronaviruses globally in terms of net new cases is good. You know, the stimulus that's, that's coming through is also very bullish for equity markets. But I think, you know, the pace of the recovery is increasingly looking more challenging by the week in terms of getting back to, quote unquote, normal. And as you mentioned, South Korea, you know, there was an article about, you know, a nightclub Opening and you know that resulted in, I believe it was about 20 new infections. And you know, as we know, the problem is 20 infections just kind of snowballs from there. So, you know, really illustrates the danger of reopening too soon. And I think that's you know, kind of front and center with a lot of comments that we're hearing from global leaders, you know, including Trudeau, of the dangers of reopening. You know, and a similar thing happened to Germany as well. So Put that into context, you know, the slowness of the recovery, I think, is going to be a challenge. You know, we've seen economic, uh, the labor market now, we're at somewhere around 15% unemployment in North America between Canada and the U.S. It's a pretty big number, pretty staggering number. You now, obviously, a lot of those jobs are potentially can come back online relatively quickly, you know, as we reopen restaurants, for example, or hotels. But some of them are not going to be as quickly. And even, even the quick ones, I would argue, it's not going to be a snapback. To the old situation. So, you know, I think the real challenge is going to be the slowness of the recovery, and this, this, you know, very real public health challenge of reopening markets. You know, one other kind of side point that I noticed this morning: uh, the global shipping company Maersk noted a 25% drop in activity. So again, you know, drop in economic activity is going to be a challenge for markets going forward. So, in terms of where you know we want to be positioned in this recovery. We do believe we're going to recover through this in time. But we think still the backdrop, you know, you know, the macro and the economic backdrop warrants a risk-reduced focus to equities. And we've spoken on the call about low volatility and quality factors being two ways to accomplish that, as well as covered calls. In Canada, you know, ZLB is an award-winning fund, and we do think that's a very good way to play risk-reduced focus to, towards equities in Canada. Again, very significantly underweight energy and materials. And then we would look to our quality solutions in the U- U.S. and Europe, where, again, they're, they're underweight, more cyclical elements, you know, while overweight some growth exposures such as uh, U.S. large cap tech, which is, you know, really performed well, you know, as well as healthcare, which is, has increasingly uh, performed well as a sector. So quality being a factor where you can get kind of overexposure to what's working in this market. You know, I wouldn't characterize it, you know, it's not austerity, it's not the word, you know, austerity is not the word when the government is coming out with all these stimulus packages. But I do think from a company, individual businesses point of view, it is somewhat of an austere market when you're facing consumers who are either unable to buy a business's service because the business is shut down or you have consumers who don't have the income to deploy. It's going to be a challenging environment for businesses. So stable businesses uh, businesses with high profitability are gonna be ones that I think are gonna do very well. And that, that really characterizes low ball and quality. And then as a supplement that cover calls, and we're gonna talk about it more on the call today, but that ability to generate income from the volatility in the market, I think it's gonna, you know, prove to be, you know, a good trade as well. You know, I think it could be an effective way to kind of get paid while we wait, you know, for this kind of recovery to really set in. But I do think it's gonna be going to take more time uh, than people think and you know i think we're slowly realizing that as kind of as a society and so i think you know a cautious outlook is still warranted right now thanks chris and if i can just ask you a follow-up to it
2: what about geography because it, it's interesting right now if you look you know just simply at year-to-date returns there's about a 10 plus percent gap between the returns we see from the u.s and, and canada uh, if you just think of the way our our markets and our economy is shaped up here or you know just think of something as simple as as Shopify here jumping up to the top of the market cap list where there's so many tech companies and and new internet companies down the US to invest in so do you guys think that spread is overdone are your client conversations still more pro US where do you sit on geography thanks
3: yeah i think still US is you know, my patriotic nature wants to say Canada's a great place to be, and it is a great place to have some assets. But I think, you know, U.S. the companies are just in a stronger position. You know, Shopify is a great example of a of a Canadian-born company that's doing very well. You know, but as you mentioned, you know, if you go to the U.S., there's not only are there multiple Shopify's, but there's multiple Shopify's who are who are much further down the line in terms of their growth and the cash that they're generating. What I'm thinking about there is our U.S. quality. Where you have Microsoft and Apple and Google, Alphabet, Visa, MasterCard, you know, really, really developed, really successful, really profitable tech companies. So uh, Shopify is a great success story, but I still think the real region of of, of economic, you know, kind of powerhouse, and it's been this way for several years with the US. So I, you know, I still lean there. You know, I, in Canada, you know we've got great companies, great businesses. You know, I, I, I like though still to lean into Canada with the ZLB, the low ball approach, just with the uncertainty around the energy sector. You know, in particular, some of the smaller, explore oriented energy companies. You know, we've seen even Suncor cut its dividend in the last week or so. So it shows you it's going to be a very challenging environment. So you know, were I to go into energies, I would I'd favor the senior, but I think you know playing Canada with the low ball approach is still, you know, a good way to do that. Uh, but overall, you know, the U.S. has been so strong and really continues to be, so they're showing the leadership. And I think, it's, I think you still stick to that, you know, in an uncertain time. All right, thanks, Chris. Now Let's move over uh-huh. to fixed income, where
2: we now have the Fed actually getting the point of entering into the corporate bond market, both by buying U.S. corporate bonds and U.S. corporate bond ETFs. How is this translated through then to credit spreads and ETF liquidity? We haven't talked about this in a couple of weeks. Obviously, it's been improving. But to get your views on the U.S. and as well, the spillover affected Canada, and maybe give us an update on what the Bank of Canada has been working on, and how would you play this theme via an ETF? I'll pass it over to Chris McKinney, please.
0: Thanks, Mark. And Yeah, the Fed is starting their corporate bond buying program, this week, actually, it is underway, and so what the Fed has announced previously was that they would uh, set aside $75 billion to purchase on the secondary market corporate bonds as well as corporate bond ETFs, uh, which is something they haven't really done before. They've supported the bond market itself, but not via ETFs, and so that's that's starting um this week, and there was some discussion as to whether you know it would be required to to support the ETFs themselves, or simply just support the underlying bond market, and that would that would help liquidity in the ETFs. And uh, what we've seen is when the Fed did announce this this measure, you know, investment grade spreads in the U.S. had spiked to about 140 basis points. They got a little bit of, uh, past 140. Uh, which is not an all-time high, not near the high of 2008-2009, but it is the highest level we've seen since about 2011. So, you know, almost 10 years for investment-grade corporate bonds trading trading at that wide. At the same time, you had very large, well-established corporate bond ETFs that were trading plus-minus 5% away from from their stated NAVs, and so with with spreads very very wide as well. And so, you know, once the Fed announced their program, most um, analysts watching this space thought, you know, just the announcement that they they would do this almost accomplished the goal by itself. You know, spreads have come down to about 90 basis points, which is still fairly high relative to where they've been the last few years, but, uh, you know, certainly at a much calmer level and uh, trading around the ETFs uh, as well, you know, relative to NAVs has calmed down quite a bit as well. You know, we actually saw a spike in corporate bond buying once the Fed announced they'd be buying corporate bond ETFs. But uh, I think investors realize the Fed is not going to be overpaying for these ETFs just because they're buying some. And so, you know, that's calmed down a little bit. And we generally see the the corporate bond ETFs in the US trading fairly close to their nav. You know, the spreads as well um, have come in quite a bit. And 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 so, you know, the cost. To trade in fixed income has come down significantly since since uh, since March. Again, just based on the announcement that the Fed would do this, and so we'll see how much um, help this has the actual investing itself, or again, whether just the fact that the Fed has announced they will do this, um, almost accomplishing what what they needed. What we've seen in Canada is the Bank of Canada announcing similar activity. They announced a $10 billion plan to buy corporate bond, uh, sorry, corporate bonds directly. There was some thought that they might also wade into the ETF marketplace, but they uh, decided that was not required. And so, Bank of Canada is taking the approach that um, if we support the liquidity of the underlying market, then the liquidity of the ETFs that invest in that market should should improve accordingly. And so, what the Bank of Canada has announced specifically, and they, we've just got a bit more detail on this very recently, is that they will be buying uh, bonds rated minimum rating of triple B or higher, so investment grade, and less than five years to maturity or five years or less to maturity. So, short term investment grade corporates is what they'll be buying. And they did um, make the exclusion that they, they won't be buying for deposit-taking institutions. So so the banks are not going to be supported. Bank bonds are not going to be supported by this program. It'll be the, the broader corporate universe. And so just filtering the universe on, on those screens kind of gives you an idea that uh, Bank of Canada is willing to buy about 10% of of the bonds that meet that criteria. The overall market is about 100 billion, based on on what they've indicated, based on the screens, the eligibility they've indicated, and so there, the 10 billion represents approximately 10% of that market. So, so Bank of Canada getting active fairly soon. We don't have an exact start date for that yet, but it should be fairly fairly soon for that as well. And so we think, you know, overall, again, buying in the underlying markets just supports liquidity in those underlying markets. Obviously, it will not allow uh, interest rates to spike too much, and you can expect a lower interest rate on these going forward, but you can expect a strong level of liquidity as well. And so, you know, a couple different ways to play that. If you're looking in the Canadian space, you know, we do have short-term corporate bonds, ZCS, uh, essentially fits most of those criteria, although, you know, it does have a lot of banks in there. If you want to go a little bit riskier, and we've talked about this um, previously as well as our, our Z ZBBB, ZBBB ETF invests in chaining corporate bonds with a, with a rating of B specifically. And you know we think this makes sense because if the Bank of Canada is not buying bank bonds, um, then you know most of the other indices and most of the other programs out there do have a lot of um, financial exposure in them. The the triple B index, however, is very very low in in financials, and so you're getting the exposure to these bonds that the Fed is going to be buying. Now there is a little bit of added risk that if we go through the next six months or so or or, or year, and as Chris Higgs was just discussing, it could be choppy going forward here, a slower recovery. You know, you might have a couple of those triple B rated companies run into trouble. They could potentially be downgraded. And if they are, that would move them into the high yield status. And so they could face potentially uh, additional selling pressure there. Um, but again, overall, we like the, the, the corporate makeup, sector exposure that Triple and Triple B offers relative to what the Bank of Canada has announced they're going to be buying. Um, historically, as well, Triple Bs have had the best sort of risk reward ratio. So for the amount of risk you're taking on and the amount of coupon you actually get paid the triple B fiscal, we have had that, the highest trade-off there. And so we think that one makes a lot of sense to play this game as well.
2: Great. Thanks for that, Chris. That's appreciate covering across both markets there. Now let's turn to covered calls, uh, where certainly we've seen the internal yields jump up. One, as prices have gone down, but two, as there's been more volatility and therefore more available premiums in the marketplace. These ETFs make a lot of sense for investors who, you know, want to get paid while maintaining their equity exposure and, and want to take advantage of the volatility that's there. But we've seen the VIX, which peaked up above eighty in March, already come down to the low thirties. Doesn't doesn't mean it's calm, but it's a lot calmer. Comparing, let's say, the April month end to where we were a month prior, what does that meant for your call writing? Can you give us an update? On how far out of the money the options are, the yields that you're you're looking at within the portfolio, and I'll turn that over to Chris Heeks, please.
3: Yeah, thanks, Mark, and uh, yeah, absolutely, VIX. So volatility of you know, and VIX is a measure of S&P 500 options, but it's a good proxy for overall volatility in the market. Down in that 30 to 35 kind of range, like you mentioned, tells you something about the world where we feel like that's calm because. You know, if you look at kind of the year before uh, March, you know, kind of pre-COVID, you know, VIX was in that kind of 10 to 15 range. So we're still at a double kind of uh, on the overall volatility. It's still a double, you know, even though it has come down from a high of 80. So it's still, it's still really quite elevated compared to what we've seen the last few years. So where we were in April, you know, on average, about 10 to 15% out of the money to generate that 3 to 5% in incremental yield from the option premium. So again, that, that's kind of towards the upper end of what we've ever seen in running these strategies. And I'll, I'll kind of touch on it, but again, we have a very non-greedy approach to cover call writing. So if we can generate that 3 to 5%, if we can be 10% out of the money, if we can be 15% out of the money, we're happy to do that because what an, what it helps clients do is achieve better growth profile coming off those lows. Uh, so again, ten to fifteen percent in April. You know, where we're looking in May, I'm thinking it's going to probably be you know maybe a couple points off that. It's still going to be pretty elevated. So I'd say we're going to be doing quite a bit this week with the option expiry. But you know, it's looking like maybe seven to thirteen percent. I would say out of the money to generate that same three to five in, percent um, in additional yield. So you know, again, it's pretty attractive. And so I want to kind of call out two things around this. One thing that works really well is this kind of natural rebalancing feature, you know, of the volatility in these strategies. And and what I mean by that is, you know, the market sells off, volatility usually spikes when the market sells off, and it certainly did um, in March for COVID. And when you combine that kind of nature with, um, you know, an approach that's very, like I said, very not greedy for yield, works very well, because what happens is that market sells off. We're going to still sell calls, but since volatility is so high, we can sell them very far out of the money. And again, if the market tends to bounce back off lows, we keep the vast majority of that return. You know, So now where we are is, you know, like I mentioned off the top, we're up 30% off that bottom. We haven't recovered the pre-March levels, but we're a significant amount of the way there, depending on the asset you're looking at. Um, and so it's natural to see volatility come down a little bit. So the moneyness comes down a little bit from that 10 to 15 percent range to maybe 7 to 13, but again, we we're also we're closer to that top, so we're closer to where stocks were. So where we're setting those strikes are still at very attractive levels, you know. So I would expect most strikes to kind of be almost close to levels of the market pre sell-off. So I think it's going to be pretty attractive levels, and again, we can generate that income very effectively. You know, the second benefit I'd call out about our strategy and how we're navigating this is really the benefit of doing it on single names. So again, VIX is a measure of S&P 500 options, and the S&P 500 obviously has 500 stocks. So there's an implied kind of diversification of those 500 stocks. We do it name by name. That means we get to take advantage of the volatility on each name. So again, that's something that just gives us an ability to generate that income more effectively. You know, we're still looking at yield on our cover call strategies of between, you know, depending on the strategy, kind of 7 to 9% range. You know, it's a very healthy place to start a portfolio. What I mentioned is kind of get paid while you wait. You know, if you buy now, you get, you know, you're going to expect to receive a 7 to 9% income stream over the coming year. Now, the rest of your return is going to be from that capital return component, but we're not over distributing, right? So, you're going to get that 7 to 9% kind of on a go-forward basis. And then the rest of it's gonna be determined as you know, what do equities do? And 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 you know, like we said, it's you know, maybe a choppy short to midterm and a and a and a good prospect for longer term. So still a very attractive environment, despite you know, fix at 30 to 35. Like I said, it's still quite elevated in terms of um you know where we've been the last few years. And again, we can you know really helps us generate that that income effectively. So you know, I still I still think it's a really good opportunity to continue to kind of get paid from those call options in this volatile market. All right. Thanks, Chris.
2: Appreciate that update. As you say, quite interesting that we suddenly think of Vic in the the low 30s as as being calm. It certainly speaks to where we've, we've moved in the last couple of months. I'm going to turn to one last question. We've seen a number of articles since month end commenting on the relative outperformance of ESG mandates. Now, it would be a quick assumption in Canada that simply a result of a, a low energy weight. But if we look at our ESG ETFs, which follow the MSCI ESG Leaders Indexes, in Canada, ESGA, uh, we've maintained outperformance even though the indexes actually match the sector weights. So, how would you then look at this outperformance? And importantly, for those looking at ESG, do you think this is something? sustainable going forward. I'll turn that over to Chris McKinney. Thanks.
0: Yeah, thanks, Mark. And I think, um, you know, to your point, you know, the way we have sort of constructed our our, our ESG ETFs that we track the MSCI indices with, the indices we've chosen to, to track here are the ESG leaders indexes. And as you say, it doesn't just ignore certain sectors because they're not considered ESG sectors. Really, what the process does and what the methodology does is it looks at each company in each sector and really selects the best on various ESG metrics within each sector. And so we're taking the best companies in each sector as according to various ESG metrics and building the portfolio that way. Um, so as you say, you know, there is still a healthy weight to energy, particularly in Canada. But even outside of Canada, or U.S um ESG leaders our, our E C ESG leaders, our international fund, each of these has actually demonstrated outperformance. So across geographies, um as the market has sold off, each of these actually performed better than than the broad market did. Not necessarily by huge amounts, but in all cases again, there is that persistent element of, of outperformance. You know, we think part of this really can be explained going back to some of the other things we've already talked about on this call and in previous calls, is quality companies are going to be rewarded in this type of environment. So companies with strong management tend to have, you know, that good governance in place already and can score very high on ESG metrics or certainly on the governance element of ESG metrics. And so again, companies that have strong leadership, strong management, are going to be able to ride out the highs and lows of the overall economic cycle. And certainly, we're seeing right now, we're in one of those lows. And so, I think investors have a little bit more confidence in the type of management teams that are able to navigate through uncertain times. And actually, the other thing that could be percolating here a little bit is, you know, as we've seen this significant drop-off in economic activity, we've seen monetary response, we've seen some fiscal response, but a lot of thinking is is going into the fact that a lot more fiscal response that we're going to see going forward, companies and governments uh, working together, the government putting that stimulus into place to help companies come out of this, is that now is an opportunity for a lot of governments to potentially put in place stimulus measures for that more environmental approach to business. And so those sectors, you know, green energy is one, for example, that might have needed government funding in the past or might need, you know, rebates uh, being being given to, to customers in order to take up their business. You know, you might start seeing a lot more investment from government into these sectors as we're taking this chance to reshape our economy and what it looks like. The amount of money that's going to be spent in stimulus is in the trillions globally, so I think governments want to make sure they're spending that in the right areas. And now is an opportunity for a lot of governments to sort of pivot what their economy looks like and the companies that they want to be able to support going forward in a more sustainable way. So this element of sustainability, this idea of sustainability, is being talked about at the company at the government level, at the heads of, of countries and together with central banks as well. And so there's 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 a greater thought that there will be more and more fiscal support for companies that operate on a more sustainable way going forward, particularly when it comes to environmental concerns. And so I think those different factors working together have helped to support, you know, the companies that make it into these indices based on that methodology I was talking about.
2: All right. Thanks for those insights, Chris. I just want to check if there are any questions on the line for Chris and Chris. Again, that's star six if you want to ask questions, you either Chris or Chris. Hello, this is Laura. I have a question for either of the Chris's. I actually read an article in the investment executive uh, recently talking about pay and uh, how this was the best performing ETF during uh, the March meltdown. Can you talk about it? Thank you.
0: Yeah, maybe I'll take that one. And, and ZenPay um, is our demo Premium Yield ETF. You know, it's an ETF that's fairly new. We launched it in January, uh, probably been working on it for a couple of years before that. But we launched it in January as primarily an income-oriented vehicle that utilizes both call options and put options to generate cash flow, you know, similar to what Chris Heeks was discussing with our covered call program. But it's not 100% invested in equities typically in what we'll call normal times is about one third invested in equities. And so it was actually very well positioned going into um, this environment and, and can actually show, you know, the benefit of this methodology through the ups and downs of the market that we've seen uh, because we are able to generate a lot of premium through selling foot options and using T-bills as collateral for that. Um, you know, the benefit of this strategy is that as markets sell off, like we saw in March, um, the equity weight naturally goes up as those put options go into the money and get assigned. You know, the fund um, naturally starts to buy more equities after the market has sold off. And so, you know, the fund was, uh, again, about 35% invested in equities in, in January. That slowly moved up a little bit in February, and through March, we got all the way up to 70%, which is, again, not in normal times um, what you would see in this fund. But... Allocation to 70% equities after equities have sold off, and so enjoyed much of the rebound in April and uh, able to capture some of that growth. Now, as markets move up, uh, as we sell covered calls, that equity weight generally starts to trend back down as the calls move into the money and they get assigned away. And so you have this nice natural balancing effect where um, after markets sell off, you're buying more equities. As they rally again, you're starting to, to, to sell. Uh, your equities down and overall maintain a lower risk profile than you would in any other just just regular equity fund. Um, at the same time, you're able to take advantage of that increased volatility that we saw in March that, that Chris and Mark were talking about with the VIX going up to 80, you know, being able to monetize that, you can actually make very, very significant premiums, tax the capital gains as well. Um, and so it's a very tax effective way to generate cash flow out of equity. And generally, is going to be a, a less volatile way to play uh, the equity market and, and generate that cash flow. So so that's what works well for that one through through this environment.
1: Thank you. Hi
2: there. Uh, it's Jester calling, and uh, I have a question in regards to your comment on ESG. i seen a lot of poor lot of volatility in the market. I wanted to know if you can comment on the flows uh, in terms of the uh, DEMO ETF, ESG products. Thank you.
0: Thanks. Yeah, and we've seen the- Early interest; these uh, are fairly new for us as well. Launched earlier in in the year in 2020, and we've seen initial interest more in our international ESG mandate. So we do offer broad Canada, U.S., um, and EC as well. And so we have the the, the different uh, options there geographically. We also have some corporate bonds, both Canada and U.S. exposure. And the other the other one that we've seen interest in that we've seen some flows in is our balanced ESG fund. So ZESG is the ticker. And that essentially puts all of those building blocks together into a multi-asset sort of balanced portfolio, which I think is the first of its kind in Canada. And so that one has seen decent inflows as investors are just looking for that, again, that one ticket sort of balanced approach, but all in ESG. So that one's worked very well. And then the last one, that has seen flows is our covered call ESG fund. So ZWG is our global covered call ETF that runs very similar to our other covered call mandates, but all of the stocks selected uh, for that portfolio meet certain ESG thresholds as well. And so that's another portfolio that's similar to what we're doing in other areas. Uh, Obviously, all the same benefits as our other covered call ETFs, but also has that ESG element baked into it. And so we've seen some interest in that one as well in terms of flows.
2: All right, Thanks, Chris. So I'd like to thank everyone for joining the call today. Uh, we appreciate your time and, of course, uh, appreciate your questions as well. Thank you to both Chris McCaney and Chris Heeks for your insights today, tips on ETFs, and, and views on the markets. Stay well. Have a good day. And once again,
1: thank you for your time. Thank you to Mark Race and portfolio managers Chris Heeks and Chris McCaney for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we learned the importance of giving your clients exposure to strong cash flows as the market outlook remains uncertain. We also heard ways to harvest income from the market volatility through the use of innovative premium yield and covered call strategies. To learn more about strategies in general, check out our ETF Deep Dive series, which recently featured in-depth commentary on the BMO Global High Dividend Covered Call ETF, ticker ZWG. It's a triple threat solution that uses options to grow the portfolio and manage downside risk. You can access that episode below. And to receive notifications for future episodes, hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts. As always, please send any questions you'd like addressed in future episodes to Andrew Vachon, A-N-D-R-E-W dot V-A-C-H-O-N at bmo.com. And for more information on any of the products mentioned in this episode, Speak to your regional ETF specialist. Thanks again for listening from BMO Global Asset Management. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio manager represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time, without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investment should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statements that necessarily depend on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.